0: No more to serve a goat or a hutto, some ma, some buddhasa. No more to serve a Teaching on Anatta. Mm. Hope you can make use of it. It's a, it's a really, it's a it's a meditation teaching when the mind is got steadied. So we see that when the Buddha used this reflection as mine. Me and myself. These three, three terms associated with anatta, not mine, not me, not myself. So, and uh, also the context of the the five, the five kanda, which themselves are probably just about graspable theoretically. Um, But in terms of actual experience, uh, the mind has to be pretty steady uh, in order to experience things like that. Normally, we experience things in terms of sense objects—you know, something I'm seeing, hearing, thinking, touching—or even more like, even less direct than that, the world. You know, me and the world, real things out out there, and here I am. You know, very much a a kind of. scattered experience of different objects, mm. you know, me and this person, me sitting in this room, uh, it's whatever night it is, Thursday night, Tuesday night, tomorrow, that kind of thing, very much in a kind of sp- time continuum which is going on in the p- uh, future, past, you know, and the uh, space continuum which is again vast, different objects in it, so in this kind of highly scattered experience of space and time and identities and so on mm. so that's the way we normally experience it, then if you begin to kind of draw it in as it were, draw it, own it, draw it back you see this is, a bit, this is a thought in my mind, this is an idea in my mind so tomorrow is an idea in my mind, right now you know, we coming to the present moment, we begin to experience this reality very much as mind objects, visual objects, um, sound and so on happening now. So that kind of pulls it in, doesn't it? If you're a little more steady then you can actually start to, to work with it. My, my worry about tomorrow, uh, my excitement about next Saturday you know, um, and so on, these kinds of things. You can actually Look at it a bit more close up. You can work with it, and then you develop, say, stronger, steadying, and refining, and holding your attention. Then this experience of the the five kunda, where uh, material form or forms, so objects which we normally think as trees and cars and cows and things of this nature, we see as forms formed <clears throat> you can even apply that to, to mental objects something's got a form to it and it's, um, it occurs within the, uh, consciousness of some kind or another rather than in Sussex or on a Thursday night, it's in consciousness now, so it's actually experiencing something arising into consciousness so this is quite and You're pretty focused to experience that. So when you when you really watch your mind, and then maybe it's kind of a bit quiet, and the thought arises in consciousness, and then a little picture comes with it, maybe, which is very exciting or worrying or neutral or crazy or whatever and it comes up. And then if you watch it, then it's sort of. It, it moves and changes, kind of form to it. moves It stimulates, creates particular kinds of feeling, and then it tends to to recede, and another one comes up. You know, so you get this kind of feeling of waves and and currents eddying up into consciousness with these forms and feelings in them. And then there's a continual uh, the, the steering of it is done through perception. That is something registers, registers, recognizes. And then, because of that registering and recognizing, then it, it starts to stimulate particular kind of qualities of attention. Like, oh, that's interesting. Look at that. Oh, that's. that's oh, I don't want to think about that. Let's go the other way. You yeah, know, it starts. So you get the sanya and this sun, which is giving you a bit of feedback, if you like, and then the sankara, which is the, the the thing that kind of starts to steer and and, and formulate and. Manipulate and shift around. He, you know, chooses what to attend to, and then holds on to that particular object of attention. So this is for uh, someone when one is meditating. Maybe one of these things become a little more real, like real experiences, and then this teaching on anatta is quite profound, really. Mm. Because it doesn't it actually points to something that we probably wouldn't have figured out, and it's very very fundamental. We wouldn't have really figured that this is that me mine mine me, and myself has got anything to do with the the restlessness or the troubledness or the or the unf, unsatisfactoriness of this experience. Yeah. If I could just get the right thing, find the right thing, get my mind sorted out. So, you know, we are always operating with the feeling of I get something that I will be and have. You know, that's a kind of fundamental um, motivation, isn't it, I suppose? You know, all these five kunda, they're doing that, presenting us with a kind of world that we can. Or a thought, or a feeling, or a particular direction to go into. I will have something that feels good. It's mine. So, and then because of that, having something that feels good, I will, you know, my my myself as uh, feels good. So, me, mine is the, if I can say, is the kind of relationship having. Me is the agent, and myself is the object. So me is the agent of that particular having, the one who goes for it, and then myself is the kind of result know what, what I will be. When I look at myself, You know, I look at myself, now I'm in a good state, this is myself. So we may not even use these words, me, mine, myself, uh, this is really when you say you could say as an ordinary person your self-image, or what is your take on yourself at any particular moment, and That's we just call that yourself, it is the thing that you see and call you, you. and then the one who is doing it is me, and the relationship is mine. Operates within these these particular. It's the thing that keeps these particular five gundas whirring, because the whole motivation of it is always frustrated because it's but it's it's doomed to failure because it's not mine and it's not me, it's not self so it doesn't actually work, so the me can never really get it and never really have the right thing that makes me feel I've got into a good situation for myself and the me is never quite capable of doing it so the, the agent's flawed the me as an agent doesn't actually work the mine as an activity can never really get it and myself as a finished product is always flawed and falling apart and not getting it quite right so the assumption is oh, I'm probably doing the wrong thing I've got it not trying hard enough or Maybe there's something just terribly wrong with me well, I don't know how to I don't know how to grasp it properly you know these kinds of you know these are the worries and the, and the despair comes up. And this is very much uh, uh, something that, that is the experience is brought home to you when, the, when your attention is draw, brought into the present moment. So, of course, uh, something powerfully resists that experience of being in the present. Why is it so dreadful? Why is it so boring? Why is it so... You know? But you know, you know the most fundamental experience, you know, the, the ground of the five hindrances is always you know, something that you want to get out of there, out of this present experience. Because in the future, when I think of the future, suddenly I'm a lot more intact in the future. I will be is a much more comforting statement than I am, much more solid. What I will be is much more definite than what I am. What I am uh, <laughs> well what I will be, I will be. You know, either we can make we can make all kinds of assumptions about that. A lot of our life is spent in finding out what we will be and trying to make sure that we will be something. So right now we can sit here and dread what we will be. You know, I feel terrible. That seems very real and certain. Or we can think, well, if I can only do this, if I can get out of here somewhere else, then I would be. And then all of a sudden, clear, the light has shone. This would work out and that would be all right and feel. And then, you know, and then also the possibility of me in the future being happy and grounded and sane and doing all right and everything going my way. And then me as the agent who can accomplish this. I can accomplish something in the future. In the present, I can't accomplish anything. <laughs> but in the future, I would be able to. That's what it says. Because I remember in the past, I did this and I did that. And all of a sudden in the past seems very really definite, too. When I, I, won the, I won the school prize when I was eight. <laughs> it's a quite definite experience. At the time, I didn't think about it, really. I felt rather frightened having to go up on stage and shake the headmaster's hand. Now look back on it and think: when I was eight, I won the school prize. It wasn't always a, you know, <laughs> like this, you know. <laughs> so the, the you know nostalgia is quite can be quite comforting, really. When one was when one was whole and complete, you weren't in the present. You were just the same, twittering mass of anxiety and desire as you are now. But it, uh, in the past, when you look at it in the past, suddenly all that's Thing is taken away, so you can see how strong that, that uh, is. It like that, you know, how strong that kind of impulse and the projections that come up, where I will be, and the feeling that one can actually get out and do it, and that that doing would would be exciting and successful, and at the end of it, I would I would be this for myself. I would have it for myself. So quite a lot of uh, uh, practice in monasteries is taken up with acknowledging the fact that here you can't really practice, but if I was there I could, or if I was a different person I could, or if I had this I would be able to. So this is uh, this is all right, uh, but when uh, someone who actually trying to bring the future and the past and all this stuff actually say, well, this is the present now. This is happening. This is happening now, isn't it? So when we do it like that, then it's amazing. The uh, when you, when you do it like that, when you actually determine to do it like that, you say, oh, this is desire. Oh, this is doubt. This is worry. This is restless. It's suddenly the kind of the the bones of the five hindrances come out through the flesh of those projections and you... ok... so why, perhaps my conjecture is that when we look at the fourth foundation of mindfulness where through, through this kind of steadying and sweeping your attention together we've begun to Enter a reality which is mind objects. Mm. So, the fourth foundation of mindfulness actually presenting us with the experience of you now all this is now mind objects, mm. and the entrance to that door is the five hindrances. On the other side, when one's not in that, when we haven't entered the realm of mind objects, then there's a terrible people. And it's this confusing issue, and it's this desirable place out there, and him and her, and that, and this, and yesterday and tomorrow. And it's all, you know, separated. When you actually draw it in and you close the door, then right at the door, oh, this is desire, this is doubt, this is worry, this is ill will. You know, that's that's the door. When the door closes, and now. We've closed the door. Now we said this is now the realm, the mandala, and now everything here now is a mirror. So you know that kind of quality of bringing it all back home. This is a fourth foundation. My suggestion. And then you see that the really uh, skillful thing is to, yeah, you, know, you can start sort of thrashing away at the five hindrances. But where it always falls apart, where it always breaks down, what the five hindrances do and where, where we get it wrong is we always get this me, mine experience of it. So I don't right feeling bad about myself because I've got all these terrible feelings and thoughts despair and mm. give up. So it's the me-mine that really is the, the hinge point of whether one can deal with these hindrances or not. As long as it's me-mine, it's just murder. And that's all we can do, we just murder the hindrances and they murder us and we hack away at each other. And it's violent and it's frustrating and it just as soon as you hack them down they pop up again. You hack down your will pop pops, pops, restlessness and worry. You bash away at that. Here comes greed, and craving. It's just like a, a dragon's teeth. So it seems to me that that uh, though one can. You know, the first level of dealing with the hindrances is, is to establish some kind of steadying effect. Well, at least one isn't kind of uh, acting as their vanguard and and uh, and servant. You know, and there's some kind of no, hold it, I'm not doing that. Stop it. You know, that kind of. But it's, it, the the real uh, skill of it, because they keep coming back, is is when we begin to look at this whole thing, you take on this teaching of mind, me, myself this is... um, so rather than finding an idyllic nether region for me to dwell in we come back to this place where the me mind, self thing is challenged? Isn't it because one wants to make it me and mine that there's so much irritation and frustration and lack of giving? Isn't it because one wants to make it me and mine that there's so much despair about the state of it, of uh, what happens in the mind? Isn't all that me, mine and myself the root cause of uh, greed and ill-will and doubt? What should I do? It is me. Better for me, isn't it? That isn't that what it's about? Those powerful influences. And if we, and if we begin to practice of this, we, there's also something very um, uh, wonderful, because the possibility that, that really all it comes down to is is a is like a mental, like a view and an activity of the, of the heart that's happening, if we could actually just shift that, that, that one thing, then maybe the, the rest of this compounded universe would actually fall into place. Could we live our lives selflessly? Because um, the five khandhas are not a problem, it's the, it's the grasping and clinging and confusion. It, that is the problem and the sense objects are not a problem it's the grasping and clinging and confusion so this is this is the possibility to actually be able to live joyfully, happily wonderfully and beautifully in your life through this so really getting down to this one point of what this, and we can look at it in terms of the five kanda, It's really to do with the sankhara, the 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 agent. You now that uh, grasping, holding, manipulating, scheming, repelling, don't want, want, don't want, want thing going on. And so one steadies the mind then you really you start to enter the mandala the this mirror world, it's very, very significant. Just how you act in that is the really significant thing. And it's very it's it's like a test. It's like this kind of, you know, some of these folk stories where you get the hero you know, has to battle with these various dragons and things like that. And it's only when he actually starts to learn to be a proper human, proper wise, loving, compassionate person that the kind of illusions disappear he suddenly you know, he's out of it the whole kind of test of the of the pilgrim's quest and the hero's quest is to actually overcome themselves, their selfishness their lack of compassion this is say in the inner world this is what we should uh, remind ourselves of and take heart in So it's, this teaching is actually a kind of experiential thing to, to question and look at and ask and be honest about, mm. because um, it's not a theory. So if you start thinking I'm going to I'm going to get rid of my ego, well this is this is madness, because you just invented an even bigger self to get rid of the other one. And one that's invested with righteousness and dogmatism. It's to see that intention and be able to, uh, you know, when 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 you use it in this in the way of the five khanda, then you're not dealing with your ego. You're dealing with very much with a perception in the mind. You're dealing you're not dealing with your your notional self. You're not dealing with people. You're not dealing with external situations you're dealing with just this feeling so you use that teaching on terms of feeling in terms of perception, in terms of form you don't use it in terms of people you don't use it in terms of places you don't use it in terms of your body use it in terms of a form you use it in the wrong sense then it gives rise to all kinds of irresponsibility negligence Dismissiveness, uh, denial, dissociation. That's not mine, that's why you bother with it. This kind of uh, thing, use it in the wrong sense. On the conventional level of of differences of worlds and people and occupations and things, then actually. It's almost like the other way, you have to develop a very uh, good self, skillful self. It's only a way of talking actually, it's not... Because the, the skills you did that are developed on the conventional level actually are, are the same as the skills that you develop inside the mandala of the mind. But on the external level, those skills we call them self. And in the internal plane, we call those same skills not self because you're in a different, you've crossed the border. So when we cultivate, uh, say, in terms of people and relationships and things, then we say, "I, I should be proper, I should be. You know, this is the, this is the way to act. It's the conventional actions, and those actions are actually things that where one is becoming selfless, more generous, more spacious, more loving, more compassionate, less judgmental, less judgmental about oneself. You know, so that kind of. The, the the engendering of a generous and spacious and and uh, non grasping kind of heart attitude, which on the ordinary conventional level we could call, for the sake of one better word, becoming a better person. And this is the kind of healthy way to go about it becoming a whole person. Right, you know, so that. On that conventional level, rather than trying to use uh, this particularly refined teaching on the conventional plane, it's 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 goes askew. So most people will find they need to. There's a fair bit of healing has to be done, and a bit of um, um, caring has to be done on the say on the conventional. Lane of what one feels as a, as, a, as a human being. Being generous to oneself, being kind to oneself, being um, honest about oneself. And this we can only really do this when we are put properly, if we, if we really fulfil that, when we are kind and generous and honest with others. So that quality of jitta, of volition, becomes something that you can rely upon and you make use of. It becomes, if you like, your, I use the word nimita or sign, mark, your, your touchstone. Am I being honest? Am I being kind? Am I being generous? Am I being, you know, am I being content? Or am I being greedy? And spiteful, and negligent, and dismissive. So, you actually, the heart becomes a kind of a sign for you that you look at and see which is the proper way to, to be and to become. We use that kind of language. So, the Buddha himself had no scruples about talking about self on this level, saying, so Know this for yourself, um, be, a land, be a refuge to yourself. Uh, you didn't say you're refuge to your not self. And then you say this is your bowl, this is your robe, this is your this is your vihara, this is your teacher. You should act in this particular way to these things in ways that that are scrupulous and generous and kind. That particular, and this this then becomes a kind of your your basic standard where we can all. You know, whatever the meditation doing, we can actually get to that, acknowledge and use that fundamental heart quality as a, as a, as a touchstone of where sanity begins, rather than um, trying to just kind of theoretically practice not self. And then within that, you. Begin to notice the, you know, the 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 kind of little discomforts that still remain, and sense of loss and separation and um, things not quite working and you know, these things which are saddening, and the sadness of the world, however kind and generous one is, is always a seemingly ineffable, uh, immeasurable well of sadness. That's the that we dip into. In these places, in monasteries, you know, there's always sorrows. People bring their sorrows here, their problems. So that always in, no matter how hard we try, we're always in that realm. And it, so you, know, you, you see that even as good as one can be, it's always, it's got this quality to it. But if one is healthy, not afflicted, then you don't you don't take it in. In other words, this is the Buddhist, it's rather like, you know, if you've got poison in your hand, but you've got you know you you haven't got a wound in your hand, it doesn't go into your skin. If you've got a wound there, then it goes in and you get hurt by it, but if your skin is intact then you can actually hold it mm-hmm. and actually hold it mm-hmm. so when as one becomes a fuller human being you have to look at your wounds and then start to heal them otherwise mm-hmm then we can actually hold the sorrow, the sadness of the world with some compassion rather than being depressed by it all, or or running away from it, or, oh, it's all useless, isn't it? Things like that. This is something to certainly to cultivate, so that you make the Brahma-vihara very strong, and that has to be done right from the ground of one's one's own dwelling. Their own heart dwelling, so that those qualities are really built into the fibres of the way you hold and yourself, and you hold your own pains and 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 uh, irritations and all that kind of thing. So this is something very much to be done. Much of our practice is probably going to be on this kind of level. There's nothing wrong with that essential. Or perhaps it's like that sometimes and at times we do we do feel pretty good, we're okay in ourselves, and nothing particularly bothering us. And then we start to look maybe as we meditate that kind more some things that are perhaps more peripheral at first. Mm-hmm. Which is the that this whole um Self thing is really um, continually collapsing because it, it's uh, it's interdependent. That is, me as an agent can only exist when there's something to do, which re- therefore requires some kind of you know possibility in the future, or activity. So it depends upon that it depends on having a place to go something to do, somebody to talk to something to act on so therefore that me is not an independent thing it's dependent upon something else so it, you can't say it's a separate self you can't be separate you're always bound up as me with with something else and that something else is always changing and constant and shifting so you're wedded to something that is it, always going to be um Inconstant, mine is an impossibility because things keep slipping out. It's like a, trying to catch water in a sieve. It doesn't, doesn't actually do it that way. So it's, it's always dependent upon being able to hold something for a while when you can't do that, and there's no, then the sense of mine gets shot. So, it's always dependent upon the the ability to hold and have. And myself requires that sense of being able to project some steady, stable image and impression. And you try and do that in the present moment. You know, and you recognize that you you have to try to do it because if you just don't if you're just sitting there neutrally, it's just continual change and flow and this and that. There's no boundaries. It's just uh, subtle and hope and perhaps not too rough kind of chaos. The present moment, if you try and really concentrate really hard, you can probably hold some sort of sense of um, steadiness and, and, and stillness. We have to really put effort into it. As it is, what we are in the present is just uh, like a kaleidoscope shifting and changing, this and that, this and that, moving in and out of focus now, this and now that. So it's this sense of peace and ease comes through the ability, not just theoretically, but the actual capability, not just the wish, the capability to relax that me fever, hunger, And so it's not meditation can, of course, provide us, because of its ability to firm up and focus and steady, can provide us with, for some people anyway, um, with some little niches, glowing spaces, and uh, nice aramanas to hang out in and be the one, experience the oneness and the totality and the space and the bright and the glowing and all this very nice kind of stuff for a while. Till, you know, your knees give out, old age sickness and death comes along and all these kind of, or you just got to go to the lavatory or something more mundane (laughs) than that, or somebody bangs the door or, you know, Whatever the whatever comes along, you think, ah, oh, I can't practice here. You see, but the this is one of the the uh, problems with the meditation is how to actually cultivate skillful nimitta sign to the, but not so that it's something that you just kind of anchor onto and and make as a as a refuge, but you use it rather than have it. And this is very much the. The motto, if you like, of of our relationship with this body, with our requisites, with the situation we're in, you know, externally, internally, use it, don't have it. Use it, don't reject it. Make use of it, don't abuse it, use it carefully, use it skillfully, use it respectfully, use it, don't have it, don't reject it. This, then this this goes for all objects, internal, external, skilful, unskillful, refined, coarse. Uh, then this then actually, just that very kind of message is then that itself kind of gives you a, a kind of a different way of of engaging, so that the relationship. Which is the hinge point, is not about mine. Because when you're use, using something skillfully, the mind is not, not, a, not, an, not a concern. In fact, it's often the case that you use something more skillfully that you don't consider to be mine. Something that's mine, I think, oh, it's on mine, I'll dump it down, it doesn't really matter. If it belongs to somebody else, I think, oh, I better look after that. Uh, it's not mine so be careful with it you use it you don't have it you're more aware of it you more treat it as something that exists in its own right that you have to relate to rather than take for granted or become fascinated by or feel this isn't good enough it's always my own stuff that isn't good enough Everybody else's stuff is all right, but my stuff's got to be perfect when it's mine. Somebody else's kind of poor chanting, or I think, oh well, (laughs) what? It's all right, but it's mine. I think, oh, an idiot, self-conscious, this kind of thing. So that the if we put aside that mind, then then actually more fluent and. And skilful response can occur you know, in our lives to, to things. Doesn't mean you just shut everything out. Mm. And this is where it's it's um, you know it's like a real growing up because of course we can say well you know then the, the sense of 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 self or the me is still it's an important thing but the to have an agent but the agent is actually acting not from this having grasping position but very much from the position of a dhamma like actually serving serving the way it is serving things, responding relating, so the ideal person to live with isn't it the ideal person to live with is somebody actually responsive to you, it's sensitive and Cooperative. The worst person to live with is somebody's completely absorbed in me, mine, and you're just an object. You know, this is the kind of worst person to live with, isn't it? So we want to live with ourselves. Do we become our own worst enemies or what? What do we learn to actually Hey, I've got to be sensitive to this thing, I've got to work with it and and and, and acknowledge it? deal with its its uh, the difficulties and so forth and uh, support it carry it reward it enjoy it like enjoy is to rejoice rather than to gobble up so we can rejoice and enjoy people without uh, absorbing them mudita this very powerful and skillful cultivation so this is actually the developed uh, activity so sometimes people will say well you know when you enlightenment is just like maybe children maybe a baby doesn't have any sense of self at all a baby newborn babies doesn't have any sense of self so that you know, it's rather like that, isn't it? We were, we didn't have any sense of self then. you're a dog, maybe trees are in like they don't have any sense of self. Don't seem to suffer much anyway. Uh, so we can kind of idealize these things or or you know, childhood. But actually, the problem with childhood is because, the very reason why. Uh, one developed a sense of self was because of what it was like being a, a newborn baby <laughs> a newborn baby without a sense of self doesn't have any wisdom and being not having any wisdom is definitely a problem you know, what's going on you get hurt, you get painful so quick, you get a sense of self together in order to start to deal with some of this stuff so so but then it goes, it goes. It gets wrongly developed because it's purely developed as a response of, of fear and need and greed and worry and pain. So it's all based upon that. Now can we actually start again and start to develop a sense of being something, acting from some place of, of wisdom and scrupulousness and skillfulness? You know? And if we do this, then whether we, whatever level of our activity or our reality we're working on, will always bring around the same kind of root results. This is how the path, even though it seemingly can be seen in separate ways, is actually very much the same direction. It has one particular direction to it. So that when this. Uh, we look in something like a particular, specific teaching. Um, Anapanasati, when you develop, you, know, you develop a kind of refined little realm of a, of a, of a meditation sign, where you, be, you really, so your world it just disappears or comes down to just this one point. Mm. Then you can use the breath, for example. This is typical. Or your body. You, know, you choose to go to one point. And then you begin to see this one point. Then is what the feeling is felt and it's perceived. And then you start to work with calming it and steadying it, so it's not just a blur. And the the, the kind of activity of the mind goes into this this one uh, uh, one point in this which is just to ease, calm, to wit, to to penetrate, so that the all that that. The uh, manifold activities of the mind just come down to this simple activity: to calm, to steady, and then to 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 begin to question, to investigate, you know? rather than make more of, make less of, um, analyze, think about, which is the, the typical ways our minds operate. So. That immediately means there's a kind of transpersonal experience where our personality is based upon the, the, all these juggling tricks that we can perform. So when it comes down to something like that, it's pretty non-personal. You just get down to the kind of root identity and then your relationship with the space, the state, the object, the feeling. You know, and the wanting to make more of it, the... Uh, the, the unsteadiness within it, the wavering within it, you know, and you really work on that until you begin to experience the, the mind, if you like, is able to steady on itself rather than get um, have some sort of clinging to the perceptions and feelings. And this whole process of, of, of then dispassion and cooling and letting go can... Bring around fruition. So, in, in in the meditation teachings, the expressions are fairly cooling. Things like in the sanatalaknasa Sutta Nipita, which means uh, to, uh, it comes from the words not digging into binda, is to just to delve and probe into to dig into. It's like say when you tuck into your food. Or, you know, you can go into it. and Nibida means you don't go into it. You, you do the opposite, leave it alone. Now, this is a kind of conceptually, this is perhaps difficult for us because you, always with that, there comes around some feeling of, oh, you must dislike it or you know, you're standing off, you're kind of cold hearted. But it actually means that the, the, the heart is so complete and so steady that it doesn't leak its values out onto other objects. So what a a skilled meditator can begin to understand is that all the power and glory of the world is actually coming from themselves and they leak it out all over everything. Don't just leak it, but spray it. (laughs) So it's all out there, isn't it? You know? Well, that's where the action is. Yeah. In here, it's just a little dark, twisted hole. And out there, it's all. A <laughs> yeah. So you know, if we've done that quite a lot. So actually, trying to bring it back home. So in here is where the the values are. Here is where the 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 strength is. Here is where the the tenderness is, rather than something out there. You know. Here's where the warmth is, and here's where the, the joy is. It's here, so you know, don't need to go digging into things. You know, there's nothing in it. That's uh, not just some some. That's not just some kind of put down of things. But where is that? Where is the enjoyment in things? It's coming from ourselves, isn't it? Things by themselves. Uh. Now, actually, uh, uh, in the mind of Samadhi, you can see that. that Take that back even to the level of perception and feeling, feeling. But normally it's such a tremendous interplay in those kundas that you don't, you know, you only only experience well-being as in terms of particular stimulated feeling. So it's only through that kind of continuing penetration and steadying. That the quality of the mind's evenness and equanimity has got the supportive buoyancy and satisfaction. It means that feeling is just noisy. It's like, you know, what was it before a Beethoven string quartet? Now it's like somebody kicking dustbins over in an alley. You know, it's, it's clumsy, isn't it? You want something that's a bit sort of softer and subtler. So then the, the kind of this quality of drawing in. And then, then this then letting go is not a problem. It actually arises from fruition, from a feeling of enough, enough. This is something to to just kind of to you know to bear in mind. Because when we aim towards um, you know, it's quite like dispassion and equanimity, these particular signs, these particular notions, if you like. Have not got a terribly tasty flavour to them as ideas, but just as you as you cultivate and practice, it's, it's something to, to really take on. You know, so if you want, if you to skillfully cultivate, to take take it on, to give it a try. Because so much of the uh, the difficulties that we have is is that this whole me, mind world. Is so intricately worked out that even the the language in the signs, and the values are set up upon that particular mode. So what's good is what's good for me, and what is nice is what I can have. You know, those have become registered perceptions. So they have to really look at, hey, look what's it like to just to to give something. Without any asking for anything in return, and notice what it feels like when one does that, and what it's like when you some you know some desire comes up, and then you just relax it rather than follow it. That's that that kind of faith. And these things, are then when these things come up in the, into your own mind, you know, um, just to be able to to see a desire or a desired object or even uh, an object that causes fear or aversion to see an object coming up into the mind with that particular mood and resonance around it and then to just really accept it as it is let it be as it is so that, that evening out, the equanimity with no pushing away, no no drawing it or no drawing it in, just just that equanimity, and then it's the equanimity that lets it go, because it's the equanimity that's got nothing to say about it, and then that, that particular object, that it starts to find no hold in the mind, disappears in the mind. feels very bright, very very happy, very peaceful. So this is something you, that can be experienced if one actually takes on, takes inside your, your mandala the world, the world objects as perceptions, as, as things that arise in consciousness, and recognize them as arising and what it takes to bring around that evenness that allows them to go, allows them to, to, to go through their cycle, and then what's it like as they pass? Just just that is the learning edge. This requires a great deal of a practical selflessness because so much of a... That's using it. That's using the mind. That's not taking up a position for, against. It's not taking up a position of you shouldn't have or you should have or you've got to do or you can't do or don't do. It's just... It's, no, it's not doing it's using it, using it for practice, for that calm and insight. So, this is a, a meditation night individual, and uh, so cultivating. Our meditation practices and then also the the unfolding process of what comes up in our mind just to bring these some of these teachings to bear to take it in to bring the world in into your into the mind so then to see it as it actually is as the seeing rather than the judging and then about practising on what the your, your volitional quality. Is it mine? Is it being, Is it having and have nothing? Is it pushing away or holding on? Or is it something that say, how does one use this in terms of Dhamma practice for one's own welfare? So,